0: Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman-Torpe. And I'm Pete Torpe.
1: I recognize that we all are individuals, and we all handle this blindness thing in our own unique ways. And there are no right ways and no wrong ways. And so I think it's important to think about that before you're in a medical situation and try to come up with an elevator speech, 20 seconds, that describes your visual ability if you want to. You know,
2: navigating the healthcare system can be daunting enough, even if you are fully sighted. But when you have a vision impairment, you run into some special issues that we'll be talking about in today's show.
0: We'll speak with Deborah Kendrick about her recently published book, Navigating Healthcare When All They Can See Is That You Can't. And this book offers lots of useful suggestions and strategies for times when you might need them most. But first for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Deborah Kendrick.
1: One thing that I've learned in the last few years, because I've had a lot of mobility challenges, and I learned this from blindness and hearing impairment, so no matter what challenges are thrown your way, physical or emotional, psychological, there's always a way. There's always work around to be found if you put your imagination to work.
2: And that is really great advice because often when presented with a challenge, it's really just a way of figuring out how are you going to deal with that challenge? Are you going to give up or are you going to find a way of overcoming that challenge? And there are many ways of solving problems.
1: I absolutely believe it with every fiber of my being, Pete. I mean, I've had so many reasons to believe it, so many things to work around um so yeah, there's there's always a solution. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Success.
0: Let's start by meeting Deborah and learn about her involvement with Access World and radio reading services, as well as about some of the other books she's written.
1: I am Deborah Kendrick. I am a freelance writer. I have uh, been publishing poetry and newspaper columns and magazine features and books and just about anything except maybe the contents on the back of the Cheerios box (laughs) since about 1980. And um, I have three adult children, five grand munchkins, and a good life. Many of our
0: listeners are probably familiar with your writings in Access World.
1: Yeah, um, Access World is sort of a child of mine. Um, in 1985, I launched a magazine called Tactic that was read around the world. It was initially in Braille only a magazine on access technology, I called it the Consumer Reports of Access Technology for Blind People. And in 1999, the American Foundation for the Blind came to me and said they had some money, they wanted to start a technology magazine, but their research told them they should not compete with Tactic because the market was too small. So how would I like to come on over to AFB? I thought that sounded like a great idea, and it's, it's been so much fun, and, and it's been so much fun to see it grow and, and, and change, but in many ways, it's still the same publication um, dedicated to providing information to blind and low vision people about how our lives can be improved with technology. And they do a good
2: job of that. And you say our lives. Have you been blind since birth?
1: Uh, no, I am blind from retinoblastoma, which is a childhood cancer. Um, uh, first eye at nine months old and the second eye at five years. So I always have been kind of grateful that um, I got all of that finished and out of the way before it was time to go to school.
2: So in addition to your extensive writing career, our listeners should also know that you played a major role in the early days of radio reading services.
1: Yeah. Well, as a writer, what I love more than anything is reading. So I read all the Braille magazines that were available. But as you know, Pete, there aren't very many, more now than there were in 1980, but um, there weren't very many. And so anything that could give me more reading material was something to embrace. And so um, the idea of of a radio reading service being um, coming to Cincinnati, word got out and got around. There was a a blind man who had done his doctoral dissertation on it and he was looking for people to help. And um, the rest as they say is history.
0: In addition to all of these articles that you've written, I understand that you've written a number of books, one of which is going to be the main topic of today's conversation, but can you briefly outline some of the books that you've written?
1: Yeah. um, In the late 90s, early 1000s, I wrote a series of books for AFB Press that was the publication arm of the American Foundation for the Blind called Jobs That Matter, and the first of them was called Jobs To Be Proud Of, and where that came from was I I believed that there was sort of a reverse discrimination about the capabilities of blind people in that the thinking was, and maybe sometimes still is, that if you're blind, if you're going to be one of the lucky ones to work, you're going to work with your head you've got to go to college, you've got to go to graduate school, you've got to get a PhD. But that's not fair, because there are lots of people who don't want to go to college, and who still want to work. And I wanted to find those people and write about them. So that was the first book. And it was so much fun, because I found many of the people in the book were college graduates, who didn't want to do a college kind of career. You know, I found a mechanic who just a small engine mechanic who just loved fixing things and he was really good at it. And he wound up getting a really good job doing it, even though he had a college degree. And so that was the first one There were people doing jobs that didn't require college. And then from there, we just kind of, you know, I did one on healthcare professionals and one on teachers at all levels and the small business owners. And I just, I enjoy looking at the kinds. well, just what two of you are doing with this great podcast, you know, do, looking at the different paths that blind and visually impaired people find to employment because I, you know, I mean, we're all so tired of the, that 70% unemployment number. So I think the more we look at the people who are working and figure out what's the magic formula, the more we can grow the 30%.
0: Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill.
2: Learn more by sending an email to hosts
0: at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is navigating the healthcare system with a visual impairment and Deborah's recently published book on the topic. So, maybe we can start out by having you tell
2: us a little bit about the book and some of the topics that it covers.
1: The book is about advocating for yourself in all. Imaginable medical situations from finding a doctor, going for an outpatient procedure, going to the emergency room, going to an urgent clinic, having an overnight hospital stay, or being the caregiver, the person who is blind, being a caregiver or a child or adult who is sighted or blind, Um, looking at all of those situations and advocating for yourself or that other person, while putting blindness in its proper perspective.
2: And you give lots of examples and tips in a variety of situations and conditions to help people navigate that whole ordeal. I hope so. Now that we have an idea of what you're writing about, tell us the exact name of the book and what motivated you to write it.
1: The title of the book is Navigating Healthcare when all they can see is that you can't. And uh, the title sort of sums up why I wrote the book. (laughs) But where it comes from, immediately where it comes from is that I have had a lot of medical adventures, shall we say, in the last three and a half years. And I became pretty keenly aware that you really need to be on your toes. You really need to advocate for yourself if you're blind or visually impaired in a medical situation, because truly from the technician who takes you down the hall to get an MRI to the person who draws the blood to the nurse, the doctor, the physical therapist, so often, no matter what you're there for, the question you're going to hear is, so how how much can you see?
0: What other experiences in your life provided motivation for this book?
1: What I have realized reflecting after writing the book and thinking, well, why did I I want to write this book so much? I think when I was a child, um, you know, I said I had cancer and I had a lot of radiation treatments and surgery and so forth. And when I was a child, it wasn't like it was when my own kids were children in hospitals. My parents didn't stay. with Nobody stayed with me. It was scary. It was cold. It was lonely. And and there were big, mean people who did mean things to me. And I had no voice and no power. And I had a few negative experiences when I was a young adult. And I think that as a parent, um, with particularly, you know, one of my children is a uh, chronic asthmatic, so she needed a lot of medical attention. So, as a as a parent, and then in two thousand three, when I had cancer again, so then as a patient, I had learned. I learned a lot about if you take charge of yourself and you advocate for you, and you think about these negative things. Before they happen, and how you're going to deal with them so that you're still in charge, and so that these misconceptions about blindness don't run the show and make you miserable, then it's a much better experience. And because I, not by choice, had so much of that happen in these last couple of years, I really just felt really passionate about sharing what I learned. And, you know, I say this. This book was kind of, you know, a labor of love, like my gift to all my blind and low vision brothers and sisters everywhere.
2: So you're writing a lot from experience here. Yeah. What's interesting about your book is I think it's important for anybody, sighted or not, to be able to manage your health care when you get into the system and interact with doctors and technicians, et cetera. But what your book points out and what's special about your book is that people with a vision impairment have some particular hurdles to get over where the interactions are a little bit more challenging and a little different at times. And you point out many of those interactions, give examples of unusual things that could happen because one has a vision problem.
1: Yeah, I I think... Maybe one of them that's most directly related to blindness is I have a chapter for blind parents and grandparents in the book. And, you know, because navigating healthcare when all they can see is that you can't is also very important when you're the caregiver for someone who's a patient, because the blindness still gets in the way and still looms as the largest character in the room.
2: Give us an example of some of the special circumstances that you're talking about.
1: One example that I give in the book is when my youngest daughter was four, she had this mysterious illness, this abdominal thing where she would get into these bouts of projectile vomiting and we were back and forth to the pediatrician in the hospital, and couldn't sort it out and finally, she was going to be admitted we We went to the emergency room, she was going to be admitted, and my oldest child was a teenager, and so she and i this was before ride share we my husband stayed with the baby who was going to have more tests and be admitted and My oldest daughter and I grabbed a cab to go home and and, and pack you know get p j s for for my little girl and me and her favorite toy and so forth. And when we came back, they wouldn't tell me where she was. Everyone that I tried to talk to in the emergency room was very condescending and placating. Just have a seat. It'll just be a little while. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know, just talk. We've all heard it, right? Every blind person at some point has been talked to like they're in preschool, even if you have a PhD. And so I was terrified. I had to get to my kid. You know, I knew that they were going to do this endoscopy, you know, stick that we always call it the nose test. They're going to stick this thing down her nose and into her tummy to have a look around. And I had to get, get there. And I didn't know where she was. And there was a miracle because the daughter of a really well-known blind musician in Cincinnati worked for children's hospital. She just happened to walk through the, the emergency room, saw what was going on, knew immediately because of her dad that it was a blind thing. And she just grabbed me and said, let's go and whisked me through the corridors to my daughter. But as I say in the book, you know, I was very lucky and I won't always be, and you won't either. So we all need to think ahead, plan ahead, for, you know, how to handle those situations. And so, you know, one thing I say is don't be afraid to be assertive and, you know, you don't want to be obnoxious, but keep asking questions. And if you don't have any other choice and you're the spouse or the parent or the child or the best friend of someone and they're about to wheel that person away, well, hold on to the table (laughs) and go with. Well, you know,
0: you mentioned hold on to the table when I was in labor and about to give birth to each of our children. This was in the mid-80s, and at the time you were supposed to do it in a birthing room, but something happened, and so they had to wheel me down the hall to the delivery room. And both times I managed, between panting, to yell out, don't forget Pete, (laughs) because they were all set to just head off down the hall and leave the husband defend for himself well he wasn't going to be able to find it by himself right that that was exciting
1: (laughs) yeah yay yay good for you nancy (laughs) well i wanted him there right (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah it's it's amazing when you you, when you think back to what you were able to do when you're in labor right because it's not like you're in a position to have a big conversation one of the medical experiences i think that prompted me to think so much about self-advocacy in medical situations was the birth of my first child because i was determined to do it without drugs and not really because i'm a hero but because i've always had a tough time with medications i overreact so I, i i wanted not to have any medication And we made it through 16 hours of labor. And I had, as a lot of us had back in the day, a two-person doctor's office, you know, it was a practice of two. One I loved and one I loathed. And naturally my bad luck, the one I loathed was on call. And he strode into the room, Mr. Important, when the baby was about to be born. And... Said, Oh, we need some lower spinal medication here. Wanted to do an epidural. And I I mean, you know, at that point you can hardly talk. And I'm like, No, I managed to say no. And my husband said, she said no. And the doctor was, you know, very persistent, which of course it was for his convenience. Didn't have anything to do with me or the baby. And my husband said that he could, you know, he could see the head. this kid's about ready to come out. And the doctor was so angry with us that he left. He stormed out of the room, the hospital and a nurse delivered my baby. Wow. And, (laughs) but I think it was part of that foundation for me that I need to be in charge.
2: Well, and that was one of the themes from your book carried throughout the book that kind of stuck in my head, I think you put it something like you speak for you, you know, and that people really should listen to your wants, your desires.
1: Yes. Yes. And one thing I really hope comes across, I have a section with this title on it, blindness according to you, because I recognize that we all are individuals And we all handle this blindness thing in our own unique ways. And there are no right ways and no wrong ways. And so I think it's important to think about that before you're in a medical situation. And I talk about, you know, try to come up with an elevator speech, 20 seconds that describes your visual ability if you want to. Or just a quip if that's easier. I mean, I never answer it myself. When they say how much can you see, I say things like, "Eh, "I see what I need to," or "I can see anything if I can put my hands on it." You know, I mean, but ninety-nine percent of us who are blind actually have some vision, so it's 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 relevant.
2: Well, and your point is that you don't want to be taken by surprise because people will inevitably ask these questions or maybe sometimes not, but just have these questions unanswered in their head. And you really do need to know how to address them because, you know, you could be in some situation where there's an emergency going on or something has to happen quickly. So it's good to be prepared.
1: Right. And my sense is have a prepared way of answering the question to give what information is needed and move on. Because if you're not there for your eyes, you don't really want to talk about your eyes. You know, I, all of the stuff that I have had um, going on with me since December 2016 has involved my leg. And, and it all started with a, a tumor that I had 17 years ago.
2: And that has nothing to do with your eyes.
1: Has nothing to do with my eyes. And so it's so maddening, you know, you're, you're in an emergency room, but each of those times, you know, you're in the emergency room, your femur has snapped in two and you're in miserable pain and they're, you know, feeding you morphine and somebody wants to know how much can you see? Really?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've only been with Pete for 37 years. But it seems to me that over that time, the medical professionals must have gotten some training or just sensitized. And that they treat his blindness more naturally, more accepting, less patronizing. Have you
1: noticed that over the last few decades? I have noticed that there is no consistency in some settings. Absolutely. In other settings, not at all. Suffice to say that part of the reason that I'm not walking properly yet, I think has to do with misconceptions. Um, with treatment that I have received where my blindness got in the way and I didn't I didn't catch on immediately. So I think it's there's progress, but it's not, you can't depend on it.
0: Yeah, I think nothing's consistent, but it just seems overall things have improved.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, hopefully, attitudes will continue to change in a positive direction. But in the meantime, this book can be a useful resource to get you prepared for when you eventually have to deal with the healthcare system with a visual impairment.
0: You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item, how to get a copy of Deborah Kendrick's book, Navigating Healthcare When All They Can See Is That You Can't, or her other writings and how to contact her for other questions.
2: So if people are looking for your book, where can they find it?
1: They can find Navigating Healthcare When All They Can See Is That You Can't, At National Braille Press, the website is nbpnationalbraillepress.org or by calling 800-548-7323. And I should mention that um, because it has information relevant to the pandemic, it is being offered for free download until August 31st. Great.
0: And what formats is that available in?
1: It's available in hard copy, Braille and downloadable Word, DAISY, and BRF files.
2: And if people are looking for some of your other writings, where would you direct them?
1: Well, <laughs> there's a lot of places. Um, probably current writing uh, it would be Access World. So Access World is the technology publication of of the American Foundation for the Blind. That address is wwwafborg slash AW Access World. You can just put my name in uh, your favorite search engine, Google or wherever. And if you're looking for a particular disability or topic regarding disability, put my name plus that topic in your favorite search engine and items that I've written for various newspapers, the Cincinnati Enquirer, Columbus Dispatch, etc., Welcome. Can you spell your name? Yes. D-E-B-O-R-A-H-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. Do
0: you have a social media presence?
1: If I happen to send out any tweets, they can be found at... Kendrick Insight, all one word, K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-I-N-S-I-G-H-T.
2: And if people had questions for you, is there some way they can reach you directly?
1: Well, that is certainly one way, at Kendrick Insight on Twitter, or can contact me via email at dkk33709 at outlook.com.
2: And of course, you'll be able to find all that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at
0: www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2032. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about accessibility of Amazon products. We'll have Peter Korn back on the show to give us an update since the last time we had him speaking on that topic a few years ago. And we hope we'll catch you all next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows,
2: subscribe to the podcast and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net.